Welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Today's episode 42, and I'm having a conversation with Sabrina Martin. For those of you who are new to the podcast, and those that have been here for a little while, but want to recap, this is a show where I get to chat with cool people doing interesting things. They inspire me, and hopefully you, to get out of our comfort zones through their actions and ideas. We also get to hear about some of the uncomfortable situations that they've been in. Uh, You may be getting a little bit of background noise in this intro today uh, because the rain is coming down pretty hard out there at the moment. Um, And in typical Wellington style, she's also pretty windy. So sorry if that is distracting for you guys. Um, Now, I was staying up in Mahanga last week, which is a little place just north of the Mahia Peninsula in northern Hawke's Bay. Um, It was sunny and warm and in the early 30s, uh, so this makes a little bit of an interesting change weather-wise for me. Um, Definitely not quite as much sunscreen needed today. Uh, But check out Uncomfortable is OK on Instagram for some pics of the sunsets that I got while I was up there. Um, So anyway, today's show with Sabrina, it was pretty good fortune that we got to chat. Uh, I was in the process of organising a future guest of the podcast who pointed me in Sabrina's direction and told me that she'd be a great fit for the show. Sabrina is a performance artist based here in Wellington. She's about to put on a show at the Fringe Festival called May Contain Sex Scenes. May Contain Sex Scenes is a vibrant, mischievous, liberating physical breakdown of our social taboos and discussions of female sexual experience. Um, I'm heading along to the show this Sunday uh, and I'm nervously looking forward to it and hopefully I can feed back to you a little bit in the podcast next week uh, about exactly what went on there and why you should go and see it. So today's conversation we take a dive into the artistic process I found out, find out what it takes to put on a show with specific regard to a solo show in this instance. We discuss exploring and taking back the female sexual experience. Well, Sabrina does, and I try and ask appropriate and insightful questions, um, which I'm not sure that I pull off. Today, there are unintentional sex puns, sex metaphors, making your own sex menu, discussion about breaking down the social taboos about talking about sex. As always, this conversation about the challenges, and Sabrina fills us in on why she hates raisins and sultanas with the fire of a thousand burning suns. This is a pretty open discussion, so thanks for taking the time to get uncomfortable with us today. So Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for sitting down and having a chat with me today. Thanks for coming into my living room. 
Excellent. Um, it's uh, it's lovely actually. I like it in here. <laughs> nice and uh, nice and sunny, and uh, on a on a great morning in Newtown. Now we're here to predominantly talk about uh, morning may contain sex scenes, um, but I've got a couple of kind of background questions for you first. Sure. Um, the first one is, and it was in our email exchange uh, earlier as we were setting this up. Um, you hate raisins and sultanas with the fire of a thousand burning suns. What makes you dislike them so much? Uh, okay. Raisins and sultanas to me are these horrible little hard, um, sweet, uh, sometimes soft though, I suppose, but like these little sweet nuggets of disaster. I just absolutely hate them. Um, they are way too sweet. There's this weird aftertaste you get, and they're in everything. Like, I go to get a scone, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a scone. And then all of a sudden, there are raisins inside it. I order some um, carrot cake, and I'm like, mmm, carrot cake. Maybe they will have put some walnuts in. That's really great. And then there's raisins in it. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I really hate them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I told my I told my wife about that, and she was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I like her. She calls <laughs> them nasty little squishy surprises. <laughs> she finds them in um, yeah in cakes and things. Um, That's so good. Cool. Glad we've tidied that one up. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so who is Sabrina Martin? Oh my goodness, that's a question. It's quite, it's quite meta. That is very meta. Who maybe, are, maybe a little are? bit of a, a background. Say, where are you? Where are you from originally? Uh, kind of, where did you? Where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, were there any sort of experiences that maybe kind of shaped who you are today? Cool. Um, I sort of sometimes feel like I'm not really particularly from anywhere. Um, I was born in Auckland. We lived there for two years. I don't really remember that. Um, I grew up on a boat in my first um, first five years of my life. Uh, my parents built a yacht together and sailed it all the way up from Christchurch to Auckland just before I was born. My mum was eight months pregnant driving up and my dad was sailing up. Um, so that was kind of – those are my first memories is growing up on a boat. And I think – like that's a really special time and being that age and fishing for your dinner and seeing dolphins um, and seeing whales. I remember seeing um, orcas for the first time when I was about sort of three and a half or four. Um, and I, that was just where I played was like out on the deck of the boat. And then all of a sudden there were these, these big whales. Um, so I think that's definitely had a had an impact. Um, and we lived in Auckland and then we um, lived in the Bay of Islands for a little bit and then we moved down to Picton and um, that's when my parents separated. So I was five and my parents separated and that was a very nasty night that I remember. Um, and so I mostly lived with my mother um, growing up and a stepfather came on the scene um, within a couple of years who was pretty seemed pretty disinterested in in us um and I've got a younger sister and then a um I've got three half brothers two to my uh, my father had a second marriage and um, which is also 
um, long since finished. And my mother had a second marriage and there's a son from that. So then, and that relationship's also over too. So lots of um, sort of extended little bit, bits of the family and um, lots of failed relationships and things like that. Um, yeah. And so I lived in Picton until I was eight. And that was a really lovely pr- playground. Picton was a fantastic playground. I think it's small and felt quite safe. And I was a boat kid and we would sort of play around the ferry terminal um, and run around um, and at the waterfront and things like that. And then I moved somewhere where we were sort of close to a river. And I was allowed to roam and play and wasn't really too restricted, which was which was really great. I think I had a kind of adventurous childhood being outdoors. Um, and then moved down to uh, Rangiora, which is just outside of Christchurch. Um, still learning how to practice saying that word properly <laughs> because – down there we say Rangiora, <laughs> which is pretty horrendous. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then I, that's kind of my um, some of my very formative years mm. as a teenager, um, going to school in Christchurch, um, hating Christchurch Girls High with a passion, uh, feeling very out of place there, and leaving after fifth form and going to Hagley Community College where there were people who didn't just talk about boys and um, – uh, thought about the world and were vegetarian and it was just a, a big eye-opener for me um, and there were people that I sort of felt kind of aligned with um, and then I fell in love and um, didn't do my seventh form year and moved to Nelson and um, lived there with with a boy that I fell in love with and we moved to Wellington after that um, so spent three years in Wellington and studied drama then um, and then moved to the UK for six years, mostly living in Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, my mother's Scottish, so there's always been that side and that influence. So it was really good to go there. And I definitely feel quite at home there. It's definitely my second home. And then came back to New Zealand three years ago. So I've been mm. back in Wellington for, for three years. Um, what were you doing in Scotland? I was performing. Um, I did a advanced diploma in physical theatre while I was there. So, um, yeah, that, that course was really fantastic. It was a very practical, um, three full days a week of clowning and, um, doing mask work and bouffant and physical movement and a bit of dance. And, uh, it was sort of for people who had done previous degrees or study in some kind of arts field that came together so it was quite an eclectic mix of people that had like circus backgrounds and someone was a sculptor and um and visual artists and things like that we sort of all came together and did this course and and also uh worked hospo a lot as well Mm. as you do often as a performer so I actually first started out at the Shakespeare's Globe um in London at the bar and brasserie there and um then, yeah, and, and bars and things like that. Um, and then I also most I worked quite a lot as a host, so being a performer and kind of having that um, ability to uh, engage with lots of different people, I ended up as a host quite a lot. So I was a host when I was working at the Globe and I was a host at the zoo in Wellington and uh, – sorry, in the zoo in Edinburgh and um, the botanical gardens there. And I was – oh, yeah, I was a um, – 
I was a tour guide for a ghost tour company. Awesome. So Edinburgh is supposed to be like the most haunted city in the world. There's like ley lines intersecting and it's really old and there were really barbaric traditions there of um, hangings and um, burning witch trials and things like that. So um, it's supposed to be a very haunted city and I worked for this company called Old Old Rihi, which is um, this old name for for Edinburgh, old sort of nickname. Um, and yeah, I would take people on these tours um, through the streets, like as as nightfall was approaching, and then uh, we would go into these underground vaults and basically scare the Jesus out of them, pretty much. Sweet, <laughs> sounds like a great job. It was good. It was good. Uh, my boss was awful, but it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so you came back to Wellington. You've been back here three years now. Yeah. What have you been doing since you've been back? Mostly theatre. I work at City Gallery as well, which is really lovely. Um, I have done um, Shakespeare's tours with the Lord Lackbeards. We've gone around schools in the North Island. I've been working with Pat Cake Productions on quite a few projects. I've been involved with an improv company called Play Shop. Um, basically just filling up my life with theatre and the odd jobs that theatre brings you, mm. like being a pa- simulated patient or working for Capital E doing um, kids sort of performances and things like that. Um, do a little bit of teaching as well. So really just trying to, I kind of guess I piecemeal my life together um, with work that I really love and want to do and just finding enough work to pay me. But mm. it's pretty difficult. And what uh, what drew you to theatre in the first place? What drew, drew you to performing? Mm. Was there kind of a spark? Mum always tells the story that when I was too from when I was two, I would jump up in front of the TV and sing songs and dance for everybody. So I think it started before I can even remember. Mm. Um, it's funny, I don't come from a family of performers. Uh, apparently my grandmother loved to dance and was quite a good dancer, but that all kind of ended as soon as she got pregnant at the age of 22. I think I get a lot of that sort of spirit from her. Um, even though she didn't maybe get to completely realize it herself. Um, and when I was eight, I had the opportunity to choose to do something after school. It was a time when mum made an effort to make it available to us to do some kind of extracurricular activity. So I really wanted to do singing. Um, I loved singing. I just loved it so much. And I sang all the time. But it was quite hard to find a singing teacher to teach someone so young because the Mm. vocal cords are really developing. Mm. And a lot of teachers um, want you when you're older, once you've actually gone through puberty. So I, um, my mum suggested that I go to drama and that sometimes I'd get to sing at drama. And I was very shy uh, until I was eight. And then I went to drama and then all of a sudden life kind of made sense. Um, And I found a way to sort of express myself and open up. Um, coming from a family that don't really express in that way um, and are quite shy and never want to sort of be up in front of people or in front of a crowd. So, um, yeah, that's really where a huge part of my personality, I think, has been developed from starting to go to drama when I was eight. Um, Mm, Cool. Yeah. 
And it's just kind of snowballed on from yeah, there. Yeah, it did. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, they do those extracurricular sort of like things after school, you know, through their teenage years and then drop it, drop their instruments and things once they leave. And But for mm. me, it was just, uh, I just knew I wanted to go to drama school yeah. and wanted to keep keep going. There was no question of doing anything else, really? No. No. I kind of had this thing where I thought that everybody wanted to be a performer. Like, why wouldn't you? You know? <laughs> I was just convinced that, like, that's what it, such a weird thing to think as a child, but just, like, be convinced that everybody else actually really, really wanted to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think as as you're growing up, it kind of makes sense that you feel ridiculously passionately about something mm. that you're and you're so excited by it that it just kind of makes makes sense that you would imagine that everyone else is just super keen on it too. And I mean, totally. sometimes, probably sometimes as adults as well, I think that we we get that if you have like this fantastic idea, you're like, oh man, this is just incredible. What's, and then you kind of share oh it with gosh. people and all of a sudden they're like, mm, it's all right, I guess. And you're like, oh, what? Why, why can't you see that? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Look at the state of the world. <laughs> We've all got very different opinions about things. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, and no, I mean, I think that's that's probably a good thing. Actually, yeah. if we were all the same, then oh it would just be a little bit boring. Um, Agreed. <clears throat> so, throughout your performing career, mm-hmm. you've predominantly performed in in groups, or performed individually, or a mixture of the two. Predominantly in groups, but it's. But I've also done some individual stuff. Most of the time with theatre, I mean, even making a solo show, I'm definitely not making it alone. It's mm. a process that I'm doing with other people um, in a way that I think maybe other artists don't, like if you were a visual artist or something, that you might work alone, solely alone in that that'd be fine. Mm. But I think with theatre, because the medium is to communicate to others um, with your body and your voice, uh, you need to make sure that that's being understood. And um, I would be completely lost without the director that I have, Bob Murdoch, who's amazing. Um, yeah, so... So with the, with the other people that are involved, even, it's say, in a show, solo show, like yeah. what you're, what you're going to be uh, performing soon... Mm. Um, Kind of what a, how do the other people have input there? If say just talking, talk to me like I have absolutely no idea about a performing background, which is probably actually quite true. <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, the way we started this process was I went away and for a week I did a residency with Barbarian Productions, or they more made the space available um, up at the Vogelmorn Bowling Club. Um, And I kind of locked myself in a room by myself for uh, four hours a day for a week and thought about the topic, um, had thought about the topic previously and wrote myself a bunch of working questions. Questions, uh, in this case, these questions are about sex and about what it means to me and how I'm feeling about it and um, where uh, the uncomfortable parts are and what I do know and what I don't know and things. And then I would start to physically make 
uh, a moment, we call them, um, which is could be anything. It could just be a 10-second little um, uh, like statue image or something like that with, uh, that I make with my body, or it could be um, a monologue that I improv and then kind of work on, or it could be um, a whole sort of scene or a piece of mm-hmm. movement or dance or something like that. And so I went away and kind of locked myself away and did that process for a week. And the reason I did it is because I really wanted to know that I had something to say, that I had like a driving force for this project and I wasn't um, leaning on, going to feel like I was leaning on other people. If I was going to make a solo show, um, if I really wanted to back myself, I wanted to start it myself and make sure that I um, really had energy for it. Yeah. And so, is that a typical process um, doing a solo show? That- I would imagine so. I don't actually really know. I know one other friend that has made a solo show also with Bop actually, um, Sarah Tuck, and she um, created a lot of her characters in that way, I believe, like by, mm-hmm. by herself um, in the mirror or I don't know exactly what her process is, but I think, yeah, it sort of came from um, her working away herself and then bringing it to someone. So I have heard of other people doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas others may um, have gone away and written something, you know, they might have written a whole script or they may um, not. They may um, just come into the room and, and have an idea and then just yeah. start playing in the room. So I don't think it's unusual, but mm-hmm. it was my process this time around. Um, and then sort of brought that material to Bob and we basically just started to meet and I showed her what I had done and then instantly that starts to spark uh, things in her and she starts to ask me to um, try this thing but do it um, like there might be a specific part of it that she that re- really sparked something for her because I felt like I sort of had nothing. I came to mm-hmm. that first rehearsal and was like, oh, I just like made some little things <laughs> and um, I don't know. But uh, then you have someone that can watch watch it back and um, pull out all of the good stuff and start to work with that. Mm-hmm. And so we're devising, so I'm not actually writing the show. We're devising, so basically it means that I'm in the room, um, I'm being given a question or a scenario or um maybe not a scenario so much but we we sort of sit and we brainstorm around uh how the topic makes us feel what it makes us think of um we use a lot of metaphor so um one of my favorite metaphors we've got for sex is like sex as a jazz song um and I really love that because it's like a jazz song kind of goes all over the place and doesn't necessarily like resolve. Yeah. And I love that as a, as a, it's almost like an aspirational kind of like place for sex for me where I, uh, where it can be that it, it, it can start and not finish necessarily, or it can go a whole bunch of crazy places and I don't know where it's going to end or, or whatever. So we use like metaphor like that. And then we create um, kind of improvised moments that then, get stretched and pulled in different directions and uh, and then become a scene and then we start to rehearse them and tweak and change. That makes sense? That does make sense, yep. Yeah. It sounds like a, an interesting process. Um, I can't imagine that's been an overly easy process for you. 
Have no. there been some have there been some kind of challenges process wise along the way? Yeah, there have been. Um, I chose to make so I I um, even just starting the process. So I'm thirty and I have never made a solo show yet, and I have been wanting to kind of make my own work that I am the driving force behind or part of the. Yeah, part of the driving force behind um, for a long time, but have had a lot of fear around uh, whether I've actually got anything worth saying, um, trusting my own thoughts and ideas, and actually standing behind myself and um, giving myself the time and energy to, to actually make some work that's not getting in on someone else's idea or um just turning up to the next show where someone asks me to be in it um which is really great of course and I really want to keep really want to keep working with others but I just really wanted to do a project where um it was it came from me it was Mm me me kind of driving it and saying something so that in itself was really hard um and that's why I had to lock myself away in a room basically yeah. for a week and start that process because it was just never going to happen otherwise it can be a bit self-sabotaging I think mm. in that way so is that the kind of the only way that you resolved that internal conflict was going and locking yourself <laughs> in the room or were there other things that you did that led up to the I'm going to lock myself in the room for the week <laughs> uh yeah there was um I had the opportunity the previous year to work again with Patter Cake Productions, uh, when I very first met Bot, I expressed that I wanted to start making my own work. And she was like, great, I've got something you can do. In six months' time, I'm going to do a project where uh, we are going to support for or a group of um, emerging theatre practitioners or directors to make work. And she's like, you could do that. I was like, okay. And then she sort of just was like, right, so you're doing it. Great. Um, Sort of like pushed me into it, really. No, not pushed me. Um, Like lovingly um, pulled me in with her witch and child. Cajoled, that's a good word. Yeah. Um, And so actually it was only three months later I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And so I sort of leaped off and, and did that. So it was making a 20-minute piece where I was the director or um, facilitator and uh, took three people through a devising process and made a short piece. So that was where I ripped, started to rip the Band-Aid off with that. Um, but prior to that as well, I made um, solo works in Denmark um, as part of a larger project. So I've worked um, four times with this particular company where with one of the shows called The Venus Labyrinth, we would make um, solo pieces that were about 12 minutes long, a couple of them each, and the audience would come in one at a time and have one-on-one interactions with the performer and the audience member or visitor, whatever you want to call them. So uh, I had to rip the band off a bit then as well, but that very much was there was a director guiding that. There was a whole process in place um, and I had to show up with the goods and it was pretty It was pretty hard. Again, that thing of just trusting that I actually had something to say, mm. that I had something worth sharing was quite difficult for me. So I first did that when I, about six years ago when yeah. I started working with them. So there's been a process building up to mm. it, um, definitely. Have you got to the point now where you 
believe that you have something worthwhile saying? Uh, or is that still kind of an ongoing process as you're uh, doing new things and kind of trialing new ideas? Yeah. Maybe the term something worth saying is not quite right. Mm-hmm. I haven't found the right term yet. But because I don't know if I'm necessarily actually saying yeah. <laughs> will, anything. Will people respond um, to your ideas? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I... It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a process, but yes, I feel like I can back my, um, my ideas and mm-hmm. especially just back the topic that I'm doing. So I am making, you were asking about that, I am making a show um, called May Contain Sex Scenes. It's about sex. It's about my relationship with it, um, where I sort of come from and where I kind of want to go with it. Uh, it's a, it's an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. And I think the th- the biggest thing for me is that when I start to talk to people about the show, a lot, a lot of the time they go, oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And they sort of don't know quite what to say. <laughs> and then I'll just start chatting away about it. And then all of a sudden there they are talking to me about their sex lives and talking to me about sex. And I think that for me, that's been the most powerful thing is that, it's something that we don't talk about a lot. It's quite taboo in a lot of settings and even with some of our closest friends and even with our own partners. And yet um, people really do actually want to talk about it. And when they're, when they're around someone who's been quite open about it, um, they just start to, they just start to talk. Mm. And so that's where I can't help, but feel like I'm backing myself with the show because everybody else is backing it. Yeah. Um, everybody else is wanting to talk about it and, is excited about it and is intrigued and uh cool yeah yeah and i think i mean there's a couple of things that came up for me there um that bad sex pun um (laughs) that was unintentional sorry to everyone listening um (laughs) so (laughs) one one of the first ones is uh, i mean I, i think you get to the point where I mean, I, and I've gone through those, those kind of similar challenges as well in kind of not knowing if kind of the, the validity of my ideas almost yeah. and um, kind of figuring out, hey, I just kind of using the using the analogy, I've got something to say or I've got something worthwhile listening to. Um, and, and that has been, that has been kind of a, a challenge. And I think that's probably something that, a lot of us go through is that hey I've kind of started to develop my own ideas and opinions rather than just kind of regurgitating other people's and I may not know everything but I know I think enough to start to enter into the into the conversation um is that kind of how kind of how it feels for you yeah yep definitely cool um, and the other one was, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about what's happened since you've started talking about the show. Was that, was kind of what's come out of it now, was that some of the initial motivation that you've had to for the idea as well? Or what kind of, what sparked this idea for the show for you? The idea came from my own 
personal sort of internal battle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made this show, A Stage of One's Own, with um, Patacake Productions, the one where I directed a 20-minute piece and ripped the Band-Aid off. And that whole show was really focused around um, – it was a fair, it was quite a feminist show, female experience, and I saw a lot of people go through quite a a big um, transformative process making that show, where it was quite cathartic to um, I think to watch, but also to be part of the process and get to express um, being catcalled or uh and how that felt or um uncomfortable situations that they've been put in or um with the show people were making work about being young and being told that girls do this and boys do this and having their lives reduced to their gender or to their sex even um and i in that process really got the opportunity to lead people through that work and didn't feel like I necessarily had that same kind of transformative um, thing happen where I got to express uh, a situation or an opinion myself. But what was actually happening was something was ha- deeper was happening inside, and that was really f- starting to feel the weight of... Um, being in a world, in a patriarchal society. Uh, It was uh, feeling those times where I feel unsafe in the street or um, where I've been reduced to just being a a female body and, you know, feeling like a piece of meat or um, the, and and then also the the difficult uh, nature of being in a relationship with, um, a man, even if that man is very caring and loving and amazing. Um, and so something started to happen where I was unpacking a lot of that and asking myself questions about what it was that I actually wanted out of my relationships and out of sex and and what's actually sexy to me and where do I feel objectified, where do I objectify myself, where... Um, what what is what is this thing? And I had a bit of time where I really didn't want to have sex because it all felt a little bit too complicated. Um, and it was a I was, yeah, I'm still going through this process, I think, but just a process of kind of unpacking all of this stuff and realizing just how ill-equipped I felt um, growing up and sex just sort of started to happen and not really ever taking stock of how that all began and what my relationship to sex is now um, and that journey that I'd gone on. And so sex for me was like the strongest thing that came out of making that show. So it started to be the only thing I could make a show about. I knew I Mm -hmm. wanted to make a solo show and I, um, I started making this, I, I just, yeah, when I was asked what I was going to make a work about, I was like, it's going to be about sex. And I was like, I'm really, really terrified of making this show um, because it feels really hard and sticky. Um, 
But there's uh, yeah. <laughs> Six puns oh my everywhere. God. As soon as you start talking, it's like yeah you just yeah sorry carry yeah, on sorry, carry on so i've ruined so, the flow no you're all good it's fine um it, so i uh but I, I i've been told before that you should make the work that you're most afraid of the one that you know the least about um that you feel because if you've got all the answers if you feel like you're really on top of something which i think i like to be i'm a bit of a perfectionist at heart <laughs> and realizing that it was the show that I just had to make. It just was a very personal um, internal feeling. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can definitely see where that, where the motivation comes from for the, for the show. You talked a little bit about, about the process and kind of about starting to ask yourself questions about, what you liked and and about things that mattered to you. Mm. When did you start asking yourself those questions? About sex? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that's a really good question. I think I don't have to be specific to the No, 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 that's that's fine. So ask myself the question. Um I think in my last two relationships so that's kind of in the last eight years um (laughs) so it's a long time coming just trying to navigate what it actually is that I want sexually what I'm interested in um and then how to ask for it I've had partners say oh what do you what do you want like what do you fantasize about it and I have got to a point where I either was felt too much shame to express it because it was either just like too weird um and uncomfortable and then you have to wake up and the next day and just live your normal lives and do the dishes <laughs> and cook dinner and whatnot you know that kind of difficult territory of um really getting into your deepest darkest desires with somebody that yours there's also a lot of other things for you and then, you know, get me started on monogamy. You know. <laughs> anyway, so you know, when you've got this this partner, that's a lot of things. Um, but also feeling, uh, yeah, but also like loving and trusting that person and being like, why can't I express these things? Why can't, like, why can't I be really honest about them? And I think it's um, a lot of fear around um, just feeling, yeah, just shame, just like this kind mm-hmm. of deep, like internal very um, deep place of shame. So I was asking myself those questions. What do I want? How do I ask for it? Um, And I think when you're with a new partner and there's all of those like initial kind of like exciting endorphins and sex is just really great and even just like touching each other, it's just like, oh, so exciting. Um, It takes a little while till you get to a point in a relationship where where that starts to wear away a little bit and then you have to really work on your sex life. And I feel like with all of my previous relationships, I've never got to that point where it's time to start working and I've actually done it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I am at a point in my life where I I I I need to start working on that. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep getting into that um, cycle of becoming disinterested and then just sort of wandering off and finding someone else. You know, that's exciting to touch or whatever. So. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely been the last little while. Yeah. You mentioned kind of the, the shame about talking about it before. Where do you think that comes from? <laughs> do you have theories on that? I do have theories on cool. that. Um, we as a society celebrate male sexual experience uh, in a huge way. Um, it's kind of accepted that men masturbate and watch porn and um, uh, see if they want to and have the money for it, see prostitutes and although that's still quite taboo, I suppose, but um, in a lot of ways. But uh, the way that um, our media and our films uh, and everything is all, a lot of the time through the male gaze, um, even sometimes um, if women are making it, um, because that's what we know and um, so it's celebrated. I think male sexual sexuality is, is celebrated, um, or heterosexual male sexuality, I should say, is celebrated in a way that um, female sexuality is not. And I think it starts very, very early. And so... Um, I I was actually looking back through some Dolly and Girlfriend and like uh, Cosmopolitan magazines and stuff and just those things that you soaked up when you're like 13, 14, 15 and they're, they're all about like how to not be awkward with a guy and how to look perfect for the date and how to please a man. They're all about that and in some of the Cosmo stuff it's all, yeah, it's it's changing a little bit, but it's very slow. Mm-hmm. It feels very slow, and and I and I think that everything is is set up set up for this. And it, there is a new wave that's that's kind of coming through, which I feel like I'm um, part of. That is saying, no, I want to claim this back. I want to I want to um, uh, be able to sexually express myself and celebrate that. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think it's very it's very important as well. Um, where do you changing tack a little bit? Where yeah. do you see that kind of wave going in terms of claiming back female sexuality? Mm. Where do I see it going? Well, where would you like it to go? That's a good question. Where would I like it to go? <laughs> um, first of all. I think it needs to start really young. I think we're afraid of the fact that children are children are innocent. They don't have any sexuality at all. Um, let's like hide all of that away from them. And I think it's really untrue. I started to uh, sort of play with myself and masturbate a little bit in some way. I don't think I orgasmed or anything, but from the age of seven, I remember that. I remember tr- figuring out my body, but I also remember knowing that it was kind of um, maybe not a, not okay. Frowned and I upon. Frowned upon. I didn't share it with anybody, even though no one had explicitly told me that. I think I just knew somehow um, that that was not okay. And I'm, Sure, that's just from lots of conversations and things that were happening around me. Um, so I think that it needs to start really young. Um, we we need to be accepting, like not just having the chat, the the conversation, the the one conversation you have about sex where you awkwardly, you know, tell your child to make sure that they use protection and are they on the pill kind of thing um, once. Um, sex is a part of life. It's a part of everybody's life, whether you choose to have it or whether you don't choose to have it, whether you choose to have a lot of it or just a little bit of it. We all do it. And to, and, 
and and it's just one of those conversations that's just like not happening and why like it's the only I feel like it's pretty much like the only part of our life and mental health I'm sure as as well but like really one of the only parts of our life that we just don't really talk about but we all do and so um I think it needs to start young um and I think that a lot of parents are really trying to do that and there is a lot of like literature and stuff out there to sort of help with that um but it needs to be a bigger part of the of everyday conversation um and education I read a really interesting article recently that was just like parents don't get to say what um what is in the maths curriculum and whether their children are allowed to attend maths, why should um, parents get to say what's in the sex ed curriculum and what and whether their children are actually even allowed to attend? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, so I think that we really, um, that our government and our um, education system really needs to step up as well. Um, and in terms of where I see it going, I think that there's just uh, a lot of amazing conversation online and... Um, a lot of people are, are making work art and um, work where they're having these conversations um, on lots of different levels. Um, we need to put more um, women and people of colour and um, people of different ability, mixed abilities and and uh, um, sexualities and genders in places where um, they have influence. Um, so definitely in the media that we... Um, or gobble up and the movies and the music and just everything. Um, so I see that happening and it's and that's really exciting and I think we just need to keep supporting that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. No, that all that all makes sense and uh, I mean I think your your point about the government and them getting behind it I think is a, a very valid one and I think it's a very difficult one that to get that one over the line though unfortunately at, mm. the, at the moment but I think yeah the the more conversation that mm. can be developed around it the more likely it is to it is to get there yeah um <clears throat> so this has been this process of asking yourself questions obviously has been a process do you think it's one that is finite do you think you'll get to a point where you know all the answers or are you is it something that you're going to continually have to work on i will continually have to work on sex my entire life yep good i was, I was hoping that was the answer that you were going to say <laughs> yeah um, because yeah obviously tastes and preferences evolve over time totally yeah i never used to like capsicum when i was little but now i really like it so I'm sure there's... I'm the same with so yeah. many things. Olives? Yeah, they're delicious. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as a child, mm. um, Yeah, but I think kind of as a, as a metaphor as well, that your your sex journey is probably similar to your, um, your taste journey over time as well. Mm. You use that one in the show if you want. Thanks. Yeah, your right. sex journey is like your taste <laughs> journey. Um, interestingly enough, there are things like tasting in the show. But yeah. Are there? Yeah. Well, yeah. should we talk a, bit, a little bit about the show and kind cool. of what yeah. we, uh, what to expect? So I'm coming along on Sunday night Which? to watch the first one. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, with my wife. 
cool. as well. So it'll be it'll be a cool experience. But yeah, mm-hmm. what what should we? Don't give too much away. No, but I what won't. should we kind of overarchingly expect from the show? Um, whilst I have been asked a lot of like hard questions and gone to some deep places today in this conversation, um, the show is actually ultimately a celebration and is really quite fun and silly. Um, so I think some of the best moments um, in sex are when it's fun and silly for, for me um, and for a lot of people that have um, come and sort of shared the work so far. So it's, yeah, it's definitely um, quite, quite fun. And it's quite immersive and intimate so we are only having 10 sort of to 12 um audience members i say audience i mean we're gonna it's a bit more involved than that i suppose um but yeah so it's quite quite an intimate experience and you sort of led through the space physically and through a little journey that you get to be a part of um but in a really in a really safe and comfortable way no no sort of putting anyone on the spot or anything Mm. but just a really um quite a warm inviting and funny and fun environment where I explore different parts of myself and hopefully you will too sounds good good. (laughs) um It's in a hotel room. Oh, is it? Yes. Did I tell you that part? No. No, I think I saw when I bought the tickets that it was it was there. And I was like, oh, maybe they've got like a, a, a theatre room or something, but a hotel yeah. room. That's quite cool. So we're, we're definitely taking, yeah. So it's in an in- intimate setting in a place where people go to have like a nice romantic getaway or whatever. So mm. we really want to sort of celebrate that. Um, deliciousness i guess mm. cool um so kind of there's a there's also a bit of an engagement component to the show as well with the with the audience um for some reason i've got the word interactive in my head i don't know if i read that on the show description or if i've just kind of made that up how sort of how much interactivity is there with the with the audience? The audience are with me the whole journey. We can see each other. Um, there are little things that you get to take part in, but at no point are you taking part alone. Um, so it's a shared experience. Um, it is interactive, but I find that word makes me think of to papa or something, <laughs> pressing buttons or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's sort a little of, bit mm, yeah. odd in this, uh, this context. Uh, yeah, pressing buttons, <laughs> pulling on things, <laughs> rubbing things. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Is that, is that kind of... I think that, uh, that yeah, I think that, I think that, that covers it, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
I can, I maybe I can do a little bit of feedback in uh, the podcast after oh, I've been be to the show as well about sort of my my experiences from it too, um, so that you guys, all the listeners, kind of know from an audience perspective what it, how how it went. I got a couple of other questions for you as well, but. Is there anything I, I asked Bop actually? I emailed her and said, "Hey, is there anything that you think I should ask Sabrina?" Mm. Um, and she says she got back to me and said, "Ah, oh, she just really likes to chat, so I think she'll cover most of it." But if you get to a point where um, you get where it's a little bit uncomfortable for her, just ask her and say, "Hey, is there anything else that we haven't talked about at the moment?" Uh, that we that we should talk about with it with your journey so far, bearing in mind those questions that I'm going to ask you in a minute. If there's nothing now, we can I can ask you these other questions and then we can jump mm. into jump into that. Mm. Maybe this will kind of trigger something for you. Sure. Um, so the first one that mm-hmm. I ask everybody is: Can you tell me about a time that you failed and what you learned from it? Um, I can. Um, I have always wanted to, especially when it comes to making theatre, um, get everything right the first time or run away and make something and come back and show everybody. Um, so it's just making me think, I don't know if it's a complete fail, but just of this moment that I made recently um, that I just thought was going to be really great um, and uh, <laughs> maybe make it into the show where just like a penis is kind of following me around everywhere. <laughs> and um, uh, it was really fun and silly and ridiculous, but it just like totally didn't work. And I thought that it was going to be really great. And uh, yeah, just totally, totally failed and didn't get in. Yeah. <laughs> um, Was there anything you learnt from that? So, yeah, that you just have to, you just have to keep trying and and making and um, creating with abandon. Um, and sometimes just in the comfort and safety of a rehearsal room um, and be okay with throwing a lot of stuff away. I think with the devising process, you have to be, you have to know that you're going to throw so Mm. much stuff that you have made away. Yeah. Um, And being okay with that and being that being part of the process and just making moments and making, making things anyway. So I think it's with anything. It's like, you've got to, write that really cheesy, awful song that you never ever share with anybody um, where your heart's just like bleeding for another human or something. Uh, You give yourself permission to make all of that and then um, fish through and find the the things that really click and connect. That was was pretty deep, but I just kind of had this picture of a floating penis. (laughs) Following along behind you as well. Was it going to be floating? Um, <laughs> it was going to be sort of imaginary, I think. Okay. Like, just kind of like following me and just sort of being there and being like, oh, it's, oh, it's there. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Um, cool. But I love the idea of a big floating penis. Yes. That makes me think of a show that I did at a um, 
drag, like a sort of drag act thing at a bar when I was much, much younger where this penis just sort of like fell from the roof <laughs> and everybody <laughs> kind of gyrated all over it, which is really beautiful. Awesome. Um, it might be a story for another day, that yeah, one. Yeah, I think so. Um, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Um, I think uh, in making the show, I guess it's just so um, present for me at the moment. I, When I was locked away in this room um, for a week, I wasn't exactly locked away. Um, there was a door that is one of these old-fashioned like 60s slider doors that kind of click together. Um, and a lot of sound can kind of pass through that anyway, but the doors didn't actually click together anymore. And there I was for the first time making a show about sex and, um, there were other people having a meeting on the other side and, uh, just having to kind of like go, well, this is my space. I need to make this thing happen. Um, I'm just going to have to sort of do it anyway. People might hear noises that sound like sex or um, hear me being crazy or peek through and be able to see me and just uh, having to kind of deal with that. And so I would just kind of turn the music up as loud as I possibly could. Um, but it was it was very hard to like engage my voice in that space. So I had to really work through it that week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Was it the bowling club committee that was having a meeting on the other side of the door? <laughs> Luckily, it was a bunch of theatre makers, actually. Okay, that's but all right. <laughs> it's still funny when it comes to when it comes to sex, or it's like that thing of like hearing hearing people have sex or being worried about being heard that you're having sex, which has definitely been a fear of mine. Um, and the same rules sort of apply when you're like when I was making the show about sex, because I was just like, they're going to hear and they're going to know that I'm doing stuff about sex. Ah! <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think it's a hard uh, kind of mindset to, to break out of. And obviously you've asked yourself a lot of questions already around it and yeah. you still find it challenging. God, yeah. So, yeah, I think that it's a, an interesting point for, for all of us um, that it, I think when we start asking ourselves these questions that yeah it will be it will be challenging kind of no matter how far through the process you are with it. Uh what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? Um the next uncomfortable thing that I'm going to do um I don't know if doing the show is actually going to be uncomfortable. So I don't think it's the I don't think it's the show. Um, the next uncomfortable thing I'm going to do um, is ring a bank in the UK where I've got this credit card that uh, I kind of forgot about and um, is probably racking up a lot of awful debt and I'm going to just like have to ring them and um, see what the hell is going on and try not to cry on the phone. Yeah. It sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. Good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> um, Sabrina, I've got a couple more questions for you. So if you were get, if you were to give females out there advice about how to 
start exploring or asking questions about their sexuality, what advice would you give them? Advice. I I don't really feel like I'm in a position of um, advice, but um, I would say the one thing that I have found that's been really helpful um, is writing a sex menu. Um, So a sex menu is basically where you make headings and they are like um, things that I really like or I love, things that I really don't like, um, things that I am curious about trying and things that I would like to do more of and sit down and um, write out what you like and don't like in sex and what you've been wanting to try and maybe you just keep that to yourself or you burn it or you put it in your diary or maybe you give it to somebody um, that you are having sex with or might have sex with Uh, and it's a bit of an inventory and it gets you thinking and it might start to paint a little bit of a picture about who you are sexually and where you're at and what's maybe missing. Um, There's so much information and advice out there and there's just so many people having conversations about sex. I love listening to the podcast, um, Sex Nerd Sandra. Uh, She's really amazing. Um, And I would just say just starting to engage um, and ask, ask a few questions and find some fun places where people are positively talking about sexual experience, um, like the podcast. Um, I get emails from a woman called Amy Jo Goddard, who is a sexual empowerment coach, and um, she does free webinars and all sorts of things like that. So there's definitely people out there that are um, trying to make this all better for us. So, yeah, the sex, sex menu. Six minutes, cool. great. I think it sounds like a great starting point. Mm. Um, and if you were to give some guys advice about how to help their female partners out with kind of empowering them to to think about their their sexuality um, or explore that a little bit, is there a, do you have any kind of pearls of wisdom for us in that regard? Uh all the same things, basically. Um, taking sto- taking stock, um, and starting to read um, things about female sexual experience. Immerse yourself in the female sexual experience more. Um, have conversations. Don't just leave it up to her to. Um, you know, initiate when she's ready or whatever and initiate those conversations. Like, yeah, listen. Um, and, and, and if your partner is finding it really hard to talk about where they're at, as I say, again, there's like so many people that are able to speak about their experience in the world online. Um, and, and so you can find those, find those things and, and listen to, to other people's experience. Um, and I think that's just with everybody generally, but yeah, anybody that has a female partner, any gender, um, 
I think it's really important to try and put yourself in the in the body as much and in the headspace of the women that you are with. And I think that that's a lot of the time the thing that's missing with men is that, well, ma- cis male men especially, I, I suppose, is that the world uh, revolves around you and everything um, is sort of um, aimed generally at um, male experience. So really trying to search and find things that speak very much from female experience and immerse yourself in that. Cool. Great, great advice there. Um, <laughs> so we've got a couple more questions for you before we finish up, Sabrina, but I just mm. want to say, take a moment to say thank you very much for sharing your time with me this morning, uh, letting me hang out um, in your in your living room, uh, use your cajon as a seat, which is quite cool. Um but also I want to thank you as well for getting into the conversation about sex and kind of taking it out there to the people trying to reduce a little bit of the stigma around uh, speaking about it um, and also for putting it out there as, as art as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to watching the show and I really enjoyed having this conversation with you today. Um, I've taken, taken a few points away as well and hopefully a few of the listeners have too. Um, first question for you is quite easy. Um, if people kind of want to jump on board with the show or want to support you in any other way, uh, how do they do that? They uh, can visit um, Pattercake's website, pattercake.co.nz. Um, they can, uh, I'm actually just about today to ask people to share their um, sexual fantasies um, or adventures that they'd like to go on or have gone on um, that we can use anonymously um, in the show. Uh, and so our Facebook is quite um, active and so you can find us on Facebook as well Um, and we want to continue to have conversations so I'm actually going to open it up that people can come and like have a chat with me about sex or and uh, you know I sort of can interview them or or whatever afterwards um, after they've seen the show Uh, you can yeah you can definitely contact us anytime afterwards and we would really love you to do so um whether that's feedback or whether that's uh looking for other avenues and places to to go to find information um we're certainly not experts but we can point you in the direction of people who are um and um yeah continuing the conversation there's also a group called collaborate um that are kind of connected to um the theater world as well and they uh hold twice weekly, um, no, once a week, uh, they hold a wānanga where they um, sit down and just kind of talk about things. Um, there is community out there that you can that you can find. Um, so, yeah, we'd just love people to keep sort of talking to us about it. And, um, yeah. Cool. And I'll pop some – Yeah, it is. I'll pop some links to all of that in, mm. the, in the notes for the show as well. Cool. Um, and, Sabrina, before we finish up, 
Do you have any other advice or life lessons or sex lessons or interesting facts or stories to leave us with today? Ooh, um, interesting facts, advice, life stories. Okay. Uh, um, one really interesting thing that I started to read when I was making the show is um, myths around sex. Don't believe everything that you um, that people tell you. Uh, go out and look stuff up. Um, and one of those things that I read was that um, myth: male men are more visually stimulated than women. Um, it actually turns out that it's completely and utterly untrue. Um, and although the porn industry would tell us probably the complete opposite and um, all of the media that we see, it's not true. Um, there's been um, very detailed scientific studies um, that have basically tested um, visual imagery in front of men and women and their like states of aros- arousal and um, f- found that women are just as visually stimulated as men are and actually stimulated by a lot bigger variety of sort of like sexual things um so um let's definitely like champion um female like porn aimed at women and um and things like that um so yeah um that's definitely one thing um that i found really interesting because i genuinely believed that it was true. I just thought, oh, well, you know, like men are more visually stimulated and women are more all in their heads and stuff. And it just kind of turns out that it's not really true. Um, so I think figuring out some of these things and myth-busting stuff is definitely one of those things. Um, starting to um, practice asking for what you want uh, in life and in the bedroom Um and is is one of those things that I'm really starting to try and and do um, and finding someone who uh, is prepared to sort of go there with you. And I'm sort of a believer that we possibly only live once. And so if you're unhappy with where you are at with anything, um, but I guess specifically today I'm talking about sex, as I say, again, there is just so many resources out there to help us and um, conversations to start um, having and you can start them really small in a really small way in a really simple way um, and that's what I'm trying to do I certainly don't have um, all of the answers and I'm certainly still struggling with a lot of of the topic but I am um, I'm investigating and exploring and that's really my advice I think, to start doing that and figuring out what works for you. Cool. Well, thank you very much for getting uncomfortable with us today. <laughs> it's been awesome. Thanks for the um, lemon cake and the Afghans. Pleasure. There you have it for today. I really enjoyed jumping into that conversation with Sabrina, even though I was a little bit nervous about it to start with. Uh, Sabrina's honesty is awesome and she's doing a great job of combating the social taboos around the discussion of sex uh, through all of her work. Make sure you head over to the notes for the show with all the links to the places that you can go to help support her work. 
Uh, while you're there too, check us out on social media. Um, Uncomfortable is okay on Facebook and Instagram and Chris Desmond NZ on Twitter. Or if you fancy sending me an email, you can get me at uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. Thanks to all of you that have shared out previous episodes. If you enjoyed the discussion today, or if it made you a bit uncomfortable, make sure to share it out or leave a comment on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just really goes a long way to helping get the show into more people's ears and help get the awesome guests that I have on uh, get their message out. So thanks again for all of you for listening today. You're the real reason the podcast keeps going. Uh, And thanks as always to my talented brother, Jeremy Desmond, for the theme music. I want to leave you with a final thought for today. And as Sabrina says, sex is a part of everybody's life, whether you choose to have it or you don't choose to have it, whether you choose to have a lot of it or just a little bit of it. We all do it. And it's just one of those conversations that's not happening. So this week, set you guys a bit of a challenge. Uh, Get out there and have a conversation about sex. And if you're up for it, write down your own sex menu as well. So have fun, guys, and thanks for getting uncomfortable with us today. (laughs) 